Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we come to thee now. And Father, may we be reminded of how much you love us. And Father, that love was demonstrated on Calvary's cross. And how beautifully that reminder was sung and prepared our hearts to hear from thy word. Now, Lord, speak. We will listen. And we will receive what you have to give, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles with me, let's turn to Psalm 139 this morning. 139. Uh, We're picking and choosing all along the way until we finish up the Psalms. Of course, we haven't been able to do all the Psalms, but we have a few more to go to complete this study in the Psalms that we've had for some time now. But we come to a very special Psalm, and this Psalm 139, we're actually going to break this up into two parts, okay? So the first part we are going to study this morning, and the next part... We are going to study the second half of the psalm next Sunday. Okay, so it's a kind of mini two-part series here on just Psalm 139. Because there is so much in this psalm, we don't want to rush through it. I titled the message of uh, this morning, A Prayer of Praise. A Prayer of Praise. You know, we talk about prayer, and this past week we had National Day of Prayer. And it was wonderful to see the kids here at the school uh, gather together on, on Thursday. And they, they prayed corporately and then they went off into groups and prayed for our nation, prayed for our missionaries, prayed for uh, all, all kinds of things. But they, it would, they, during that National Day of Prayer, prayed for our country. And when we think of prayer, I wonder what it is we think of in the way of subject matter. Usually prayer many times is just, Lord, I need, isn't it? Lord, Lord, I need, I need this. Or Lord, help me here. I need this. Uh, Get me out of this situation. Lord, heal me. And we come asking, asking, asking. And many times that's mostly our prayer life Uh, if we're not careful. But we are going to learn something from King David here, for this this was one of his psalms, that David was concerned, and this this whole psalm is one prayer. He's concerned about the character of God. And he wants his heart to praise the Lord for his attributes. And that is why this psalm is so unique. It stands apart. You don't see him uh, in here uh, mostly talking about himself. He talks about himself, but only in light of who God is. And so together, we're going to see in our study today and next Sunday in this psalm, David praises In particular, three great attributes, divine attributes of God. 
Okay, and this morning we're going to look at two of them. So we're breaking this up. Our first part will be verses 1 through 12. 1 through 12 this morning. But if you will look at me, look with me now, uh, let's pick it up at verse 1 through 6. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted intimately with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. In these first verses here, the attribute that is presented to us from David's heart is his praise for God's omniscience. Praise for God's omniscience. Now, for any of you who are younger and that word omniscience, uh, you know, maybe you never heard of it before, but omniscient, the word omniscient is very uh, easy to define, even though it, it sounds hard, but it basically means all knowing, all knowing. In other words, God is all knowing, but I think we forget that. I forget it. That God knows every intimate detail of my life and everything that's else that's going on in his universe. Notice he says, he, he says, Lord, O Lord. And that word Lord is Yahweh, the great I am. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Remember, David had said in another psalm, search me. Oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. He, there were times in his life where he came to the Lord and said, I know I'm a wicked sinner. And Lord, search my heart and see if there's any uncleanness. I think many times we're afraid to, to say that, aren't we? We're afraid to say to the Lord, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any sin. We kind of want you know, to keep God at a distance sometimes. And, and we, we don't want to ask him to, to get into our minds and hearts, but he knows everything about us. He knows our heart. And David says, Lord, you've searched me and known me, searched me and known me. That word search, by the way, has the idea in the Hebrew of to dig into, like an archaeologist would be digging down to find something. So it's intently digging, searching. And David said, this is what you've done, Lord. You've searched my heart. And then he says, and you have known me. You have known me. How wonderful to know that God knows the intimate recesses of my heart and my thoughts. And when I come in prayer, he knows every hurt 
and everything I'm feeling, even if I can't express it, if I'm hurting so much, turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Let's go over to Romans 8 together. Verse 26. And here the Apostle Paul shares with the church in Rome concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Romans 8, verse 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself, what? Intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, he who searches the hearts, there it is, the Lord that searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul is trying to encourage us, the saints, saying there are times in your weakness where you won't even know how to pray. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe this past week, you've tried to pray, but you just haven't felt like it. You've been so down, maybe depressed, overwhelmed at whatever's come into your life. And, and so suddenly your prayer life, you try and pray and you can't even get the words out. You're hurting so much. It is then that the Holy Spirit is going to move in your, your life and heart and he is dwelling within you as a believer. And this wonderful truth comes uh, to the forefront. That the Holy Spirit, when I'm having trouble and I'm having difficulty expressing myself to the Lord in prayer, he intercedes for me. He intercedes for me. And the Lord hears from the Holy Spirit, conveying to him our hurts, our heart, and then we know that God hears and God understands our weaknesses. And notice he says there again, in verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. And so David knew this. David knew that it was the, that God was the one that, that searched the heart and he will help us to pray when we, we, when we don't even have the strength to do it. Turn back with me now to Psalm 139. If we go back to Psalm 139 here, and the end of verse 1, he said, again, O Lord, thou hast searched me and what? Known me. Thou hast known me. This word known, again, in the Hebrew here, doesn't just mean knowledge. I have knowledge of somebody. How many know the president of the United States? Oh, you don't even raise your hand. Okay. We'll leave it at that. But, you know, we know of him. We know about him by what we, what we read and think, things that we hear said to us, Right? But we don't know him intimately as a friend or as a close acquaintance. And this is what 
David is talking about when he uses this word. That the Lord knows me so intimately, he's closer to me than anyone else. And so I know that my God knows everything about me, whatever it is. Now, he knows, the Lord knows our hearts are wicked. Jeremiah said it in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above what? All things and desperately wicked, who can know it? That's what our heart is, our hearts are. But you see, David understood something. That I'm no mystery to God. That God knows everything about me. He searched me and he knows my heart. I love what was said by Solomon. When Solomon was uh, making the dedication to the temple, he gave a prayer of dedication. And this, let me read 2 Chronicles 6, few verses, 29-31. Solomon said, Whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all thy people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own pain and spreading his hands out toward this house, the temple, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render each according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou alone knowest the hearts of the sons of men. Isn't it interesting that Solomon is basically saying the same thing David did. He must have learned it from his dad. Then when it came time, he, he knew that God was the God that searches the heart. And now we go on then to verse 2. He goes on and says, Thou dost know when I sit down. And when I rise up, thou dost understand my thought from afar. This word thought here and in, in, at the end of verse 2, thou dost understand my thought from afar off. That in the Hebrew is a unique word and it's only found in this chapter in all of scripture. And this, the word for thought here has the idea of purpose or aim, or in other words, motives. And he's basically saying, Lord, you understand my motives, even though you're way up there. Even though I may be somewhere, seems far from you, but you know my thoughts. You know my heart. You know my motives and how important it is for me to check my motives every morning. Before I start my day, Lord, give me pure motives. May my ambition be pure. May my ambition be to glorify God and God alone and lay aside myself and my selfish attitudes and let, let the Lord have his way in me. Oh, that we might be concerned about our motives because God is. He and David said, Lord, what, the, what are some of the things you know? Well, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows when we are going through life and it's time 
to sit down and rest. He knows exactly what we're feeling. When we rise up, he knows everything about us. He knows what I'm doing every second of the day. And that should keep me on a path of obedience, should it not? Obedience to the word of God. If I know that God knows everything about me and he knows my sitting down and my, and my rising up, he knows my thoughts, my motives from afar. Verse 3, thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. That's an interesting word there. Scrutinize. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. If you have a King James Version, it's translated, Thou compasseth my path. Compasseth my path. And this word scrutinize, again here in the Hebrew, has the idea of winnowing or sifting, sifting out. You know how those who, you know, you raise, you grow wheat and you have to sift out the wheat from the chaff. And God does this sifting out, so to speak, of our path. He knows the path that we take. And here David is basically saying, Lord, you know everything about my path. You, and another word used for it is measure. Lord, you know everything about the path that I'm on, speaking of the path of my life. Father, you scrutinize it. You're you're watching every aspect of the path. And that includes the dangers that are waiting for you and me. For the enemy, Satan has set up traps and snares along the way until we get to heaven. He's set them up to trap you and to me. And what is Satan's objective? Oh, he knows he can't steal your salvation. But Satan wants you and I to slip up, to get off the path and fall into temptation when he lays temptation before us and he wants us to sin. That's his primary goal, to disobey the Father, to tempt us to disobey the Father. And then also... He will try and get us to the point of doubting God when the fiery trials come. When suddenly there's a, a sifting of us and suddenly you're going through some deep waters and Satan is trying to put in your mind, hey, looks like God deserted you. Looks like God isn't pleased with you. Look what he's done to you. Those are all lies from the enemy putting them in our heart and in our mind that God has forsaken us. But David knows that his path is scrutinized by the Lord. Scrutinized by the Lord. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of a man are before the Lord, and he watches all his paths. The Lord knows what's coming. He knows where I came from. And he's watching my path every moment of every day. And of course, Job, Job 23.10, you you all remember this great statement by Job. 
But he knows the way that I what? Take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows the way that you take, dear Christian. He knows. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He hasn't forsaken you. He's acquainted with all your ways. And he wants you to continue to trust him no matter how bad it gets, no matter what you feel, no matter what thoughts come into your mind about God or the feelings that maybe he deserted you and you begin to doubt God and doubt his word. Oh, that we might be like Job and remember that he knows the way they take. He, he's planned all this beforehand. And when I am at the end, I pray that I will come forth like gold, like Job desired to do. And then he says here, at, uh, he says, acquainted with all my ways. He says, my lying down, by the way, thou dost scrutinize my path, verse 3, and my lying down. The Lord is watching over us when we sleep. He knows us when we sleep. He knows everything about us. And then verse 4. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Now here he's speaking of the words, the tongue. How many never have a problem with your, what you say? We're, we're all good. We pretty much say perfectly everything we want to say, don't we? No, of course not. You know, sometimes we say something and we go, did I say that? How did that come out of my mouth? And it may be something to hurt someone or to defend myself. But the Lord knows every word I will ever speak before I ever speak it. He knows ahead of time what I am going to say. And I must understand that what I say, I will give an account for one day. And Jesus said that, uh, said, uh, Concerning this, turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Let's go over to Matthew 6. I want you to see it here as the Lord Jesus speaks concerning our speech, our mouth. Matthew 15, verse 8. I'm sorry, Matthew 15, verse 8, okay? Sorry about that. Uh, Matthew 15, verse 8. 18. Man, I need new glasses. Uh, that one disappeared. Yeah. Matthew 15, 18. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, look, look what Jesus said here. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? Proceed out of the mouth, come from the heart, and those defile the 
17. For out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, and slanders. These are the things which defile the man. You see, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here, and he's telling them that it's the heart that God's concerned with. God is concerned with what's inside here. And what comes out of my mouth will tell everyone what's in my heart. What, what am I dwelling on? Where am I, where's my heart focused on? Where is my heart fo fo focused on? What is it focused on each day? If I immerse myself in the word of God. And I am truly meditating upon his word day and night. And those, and I try and memorize the word of God, get it into my heart. What did David say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I what? I might not sin against thee. There it is. This is how I know that what comes out of my mouth is going to be pure and good and edifying to others. But uh, the Lord is saying, be careful what you say, because one day you're going to give an account. One day you're going to, uh, we're going to give an account. But what also is wonderful about what we say is that as we are, are walking in the spirit and obeying the word of God, there are those times when you'll wonder what you're, you need to say. And sometimes maybe you have to stand before some people and give your testimony. Or you, you need to say something to someone who just lost a loved one. And you, need, you don't know what to say, what words. I love what Jesus said in Mark. Turn over here since we're in the Gospels, to Mark chapter 13. Just slide over to Mark 13. Verse, okay. Verse 11. He's speaking to his disciples and he's preparing them for testing time. Verse 11, Mark 13. And when they arrest you and deliver you up. Notice he didn't say if they arrest you. He said, no, when it's going to happen, when they arrest you, persecution and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I, this, this particular uh, verse and promise has meant so much to me in the ministry. Because I know that I get up, if I have to put something together and, and it was just out of my own intellect and abilities, I would fall flat on my face. Slow of speech. And the only way that I can get up here every Sunday morning to bring God's word to you is if the Holy Spirit has control of me, my mind, my heart, and I ask him to give me the words to speak. 
Yes, at times I'll make mistakes and fumble up. But I, I know that as I, I've been called to proclaim God's truth, he will give me the words to speak that will, that will send out his word that doesn't return void. And he will do the work. I've got to make sure that I am not full of myself, but I am full of the spirit alone. And I'm trusting him to give me the words. And dear friend, when you have that opportunity, whether it's to teach a Sunday school class or to give your testimony and you're nervous and you start thinking, okay, well, I got to plan what I'm going to say. Yes, planning is certainly good and preparing. We need to prepare. But there are those moments where suddenly you're put on the spot. Pray and say, Lord, give me the words. And you will be given the exact words that you need to say, that God has prepared for you to say. That, that, to me, that's exciting. So David understood this. So let's go back to Psalm 139. Then he speaks about God's pr protection because of his knowledge, because of his omniscience. Verse 5. Psalm 139, verse 5, David goes on. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand on me. Is there any greater comfort than that? That word enclosed literally has the idea of a military garrison enclosing you. That in the Hebrew, that's kind of what it means. It means you are surrounded, protected as it were, by a military garrison. But you and I have the Lord there with us. He encloses us in his protective arms, and he is behind us and before us. And most important of all, I love this, David knew, you have laid thy hand on me. Your hand is upon me. And dear Christian, your, the hand of the Lord is upon you today. If you are walking in his ways and you are seeking him, he will carry you through the darkness. He will carry you through the deep waters. And so if we, we here see the great David proclaims the great omniscience of the Lord. Have you ever met a know-it-all or someone you think that kind of come across like they know it all? You can't tell them anything, but they will tell you everything. And is there, there may be a certain field that you feel you're an expert at, expert in. And, and uh, you think, yeah, yeah, I got all the answers. You want to come to me? I'll give you the answers. Uh, one of my favorite hobbies over the years has been the study of fossils. Uh, paleontology and study of, uh, I love archaeology, but it's particularly fossils. And if I'm out there in, in, the, uh, in the woods or in the fields, wherever I am in the mountains, I'm always looking down because I'm looking for a fossil. I've known them. I've studied rocks and I know the difference between a rock and a fossil for the most part, at least I thought I did. And so it was about maybe, oh, I guess it was four years now. Four years ago, uh, I was invited to a, a, a farm, a uh, family. I went to visit the family. Uh, 
And there on the farm, uh, as you enter the road going into the farm, there was a rock garden. I know how many of you have rock gardens, but there was a rock garden. And uh, as I was pulling in, all of a sudden, there was a rock laying in there that didn't look like any other rock that I had ever seen. And so I, afterwards, when I went into the house, I asked about that rock, and I brought the fellow out to look at it. And I said, do you think I, I asked for it? Isn't that terrible? Can, do, you, do you mind if I have that rock? Could I take that home with me? He goes, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Help yourself. Want a rock? Go, yeah. So no problem. I got the rock home. Well, I began to investigate with my great knowledge. And it was a fossil. Just like I thought. But not just an ordinary fossil. But I found, and I brought it with me. This. Look at that. This was sitting in the garden. Look at the top. Do you see the shell that's broken off here? The shell, pieces of shell that have broken off. And it was sitting here like this. And there's actually a flat part on the bottom like that. And there it is. I said, that is a dinosaur fossil, egg. That is a dinosaur egg fossil. And I did my research, and it matched so much of the, some of the pictures and what a dinosaur egg is. I've never actually had one myself, and I was thrilled that I owned a dinosaur egg. <laughs> oh. But I thought, well, I might as well just get it verified anyway, you know, even though I know my fossils. So I wrote to three universities. I sent them pictures of my egg. And I won't read all three, but I did get a response from every university from, well, this, this was Eric, pre-Cambrian geologist from the University of Minnesota. And also Dr. Adam Smith from the University of Clemson sent one as well. Then there's another one. Here's a letter, though, from Eric. I was so excited to get this. To verify this, you know what I mean? This is worth hundreds of dollars, by the way, if it is a real one. Not that I care. Um, this is a, Hi, Larry. Thanks for sending the inquiry about your specimen. <laughs> and the, the sending the photos. Unfortunately, when I saw that word, unfortunately, this is surely not a dinosaur egg, or any type of other fossil. Rather, it appears to be a highly weathered, intrusive, crystalline rock, probably diorite or gabbro, to be more specific. The coarse crystal size and color are indicative features here. The egg-like shape and layered texture are common in the areas where the crystalline rock is exposed at the surface for an extended period of time, creating what is called core stones. Core stones. Almost like cornerstone, but no, but it's core stone. Through the process of slow chemical weathering, 
I've attached a photo from the internet for reference and comparison. These core stones can raise, uh, range from pebble size to large size. I hope this helps. Let me know if you have any other questions. Sincerely, Eric. <laughs> Anybody want a rock? I'll give you a rock that looks like a uh, dinosaur egg. I was just disheartened. You know, I thought I knew it all. I thought, God, I had the knowledge from my research and my study. But what did I do? I finally went to an expert, someone who really knows. And you know what? In my life, when I have all kinds of questions and I have my doubts, and, but I think I might know it all, I need to go to the Lord. The one who is omniscient. He knows all things about me about everything in his universe, and he is going to perfect that which concerns me. And I can trust him because he's an all-knowing God. I can trust him. So look at the rest of these verses there here in closing. So we see in verses 1 through 6, and by the way, verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Absolutely. We, his mind is blown by the, the idea of God being all-knowing, uh, his omniscient attribute. But now let's read verse 7 through 12. Then he says, where can I go from thy spirit and where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me. Thy hand, thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me. Do you feel that way now? Your darkness is overwhelming you? And the light around me will be night. Even... The darkness is not dark to thee. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. And here in these verses, David presents to us now the second attribute of God. And that is, is his omnipresence. His omnipresence, which means God is everywhere at the same time. That's what it means. God is everywhere at the same time. If I know that God is every, David knew that wherever he went in the world or in the universe, he would, he would know that his God is there. That his God will never leave him nor forsake him. Because of time, we won't turn to it, but the, one of the great examples is, of course, the story of Jonah, right? And Jonah gets thrown overboard. He's, what's Jonah doing? Running away from God. Sometimes we think we can do that. And he runs away. Now, I'm not doing God's will. God, you want me to do it? go to Nineveh? No way. Off he goes, but God sees. He's all-knowing. Knows everything about Jonah. And he is going to, and he is there with Jonah. 
as Jonah is finally tossed overboard into the sea, Jonah thinks he's going to drown. Jonah starts sinking deep into the water. Do you think God saw him under the water? God sent, it says, God sent a great fish, which opened its mouth and swallowed Jonah. By the way, of course, we know nobody believes that today. If you go to any universities or schools, they, that's all a crazy myth. Oh, it really happened. This is an amazing story. But in the depths of the belly of the fish, do you remember what Jonah did? He prayed. He prayed. He knew that God saw him there below the ocean in the middle of a giant fish. And he figured there's no way out, but I know my God is with me. And I'm going to pray to him. God answered his prayer. Of course, you know the rest of the story. Fish spit him out on land and off he went to do God's will. My dear friends, understand this as you leave here today. That the Lord said, I will never leave you nor what? Forsake you. You are not alone. You never will be alone. Though no one else may be around you and you may feel like, like giving up. The Lord Jesus is with you. And his spirit lives within you and God will never leave you and his presence shall go with you no matter where you go, no matter how deep you go, no matter how high you go, the Lord is with you. And this week, I want you to, and I'm going to try and do this myself, and I've heard this phrase used before, practice the presence of God in your life. Practice the presence of God in your life, which means, how do I do that? I go through the day envisioning that God is with me right wherever I go. When I go into that grocery store, when I get in my car to drive, Lord, you're with me right here in this car, in this grocery store, wherever it is, in, at school, you are with me. And he will help me and, and with it, because he knows all things, he will give me knowledge to understand things and he will watch over me. I've got a God that won't leave my side. And David knew that. David knew that no matter where he was, he knew the presence of God was with him. Dear friends, he is all knowing and he is everywhere at the same time and he is with you in your life. And he knows all about you. Take these truths about, the, 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 uh, about God, these divine attributes. Hold on to them this week. And they will lift you up. They will give you strength as you trust in him alone. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed this morning before the Lord. Dear Christian, you might be in a place of darkness where you wonder if God is even watching. You wonder if he even cares. My friend, would you right now say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to believe your promises that you said you would never leave me. 
You'd never forsake me. And I'm going to hold on to that promise right now. And Father, I'm going to believe that you are all-knowing. You know my intimate secrets. You know my motives. You know my heart. You know my pain. Father, I'm coming to you with all my hurts and my struggles. And, if, and, and sin if I need to confess it. And Lord, I come to you now. And I am going to stand upon your promises and stand upon these eternal attributes of yours. Father, help me this week to walk practicing your presence with me. Would you do that, Christian? Make that commitment this morning and see what God will do. He'll lift your spirits. He'll give you joy and peace back in your heart. If you're here without Christ, you've never accepted him as your savior, I invite you to open your heart and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. He died, was buried, rose again from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. And he wants to live inside you and forgive you of all your sin. Would you allow him to do that and put your faith and trust in him alone? If you're ready to do that, pray with me now. Pray a simple prayer like this. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads so bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, dear friend, you are now a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the truths that we have received this morning from David's heart. As Father, he revealed you and your attributes through your living word to us this day. May we leave different than when we came, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we conclude with a final song, I do open the altar up to you this morning down front here. Christian, if there's a burden you need to lay at the cross, I invite you to step out of your seat, come down front and do it right here. It's between you.